0: you're listening to a sermon from tyler christian fellowship in tyler texas find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email tcftyler at gmail.com so this morning it's uh, my uh, pleasure to uh, introduce uh, my brother and uh, as caleb said my kids grew up calling him uncle bill um, and there was a reason for that because we just, our hearts got knit together. You guys have heard so many stories about how I was raised and how I was discipled in the Friday night meeting and, you know, Bill's whole, you know, journey and how it intersected with ours <laughs> in the genius of God that he took a guy who was really broken and backslidden and, yeah. you know, running from God 180 degrees oh, yeah. as hard as he possibly could <laughs> and ran into us yeah. And kind of picked us up along the way. And when he said, "I'm going back to church," um, Becky's brother said, "I'm going with you." And we're just like, "Hey, let's do that." Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. and uh, and he's had so much of an influence on me. And he's had uh, such a difficult time the last couple of years. And I just really appreciate um, the opportunity to get to see him personally. And. Um, spend some quality time with him, because I know that there's some things that you just never really fully um, heal from. You learn how to go on, right. but you never say that, and the loss of your precious wife um, is one of those. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Brother
0: Joe. So, just pray that he has the liberty of the Lord to speak the word of the Lord, as I've always benefited so much from hearing Brother Bill preach. Um, so I'm glad you guys get to hear that this morning too, so let's give him a good welcome as he comes.
1: Thank you, brother. God bless you, brother. Well, I always yank something out of my pocket. How's everybody doing this morning? Um. Uh, I see George and Joy Page back there. Don't you just love it when you get called out? You want to be discreet. You want to be low key. I love these these folks. Y'all came from Ruston, Louisiana? Was it Ruston or where? Hal- Halton, Louisiana. And uh, they were in our church back in uh, Corsicana days with Johnny and Penny and a whole bunch of others. And so we had some good times. And I love it that. Friendships are, are truly golden, you know. I'm always looking to make new friendships, but but the old friendships are tried and tested, and you can draw a lot of life and encouragement from them. My pastor, Brother James Walker's here, and I just call her mom. Uh, that's Sister Ann to a lot of people, but she's mom to me. But uh, uh, first time I came in TCF. Uh, They were meeting, just a small group, meeting uh, over at Bell's Baptist Church. And Joanne and I, my wife, were looking for a a church. We just moved back from uh, Tucson, Arizona. And the first time I walked in, I knew I was home. And that was the truth. And so, so many rich things have happened here. I'm so appreciative of the, the talent that's in this church, too. I mean, there's always been just a lot of talent in this, this church as far as just worship and, and the spirit of worship and praise and that sort of thing. So God's done some wonderful things. This is, this is a challenge for me too because I feel like I have a, a prophetic type of word and uh, these, are, these are days and times we really need to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the churches. This is no time to be fooling around, is it? So I've been working on a book, and I'll probably, uh, you know, on my tombstone it'll probably say he was working on a book. (laughs) But uh, I think for about four years, uh, called Spiritual Warfare Without the Hype. How many of you know that there's a lot of hype today? We don't need more hype. You You know why people use hype? Because they don't have glory. You have to fill in for what you don't have. Glory is costly. Hype. It just takes a lot of effort and people don't mind doing that. But it's it's man's version of the glory of God trying to seek for that. And of course, the best thing we can produce out of hype is a golden calf. If God cared so much for his glory, we'll pray in a minute. These are just opening thoughts. But if God cared so much for his glory, which is embodied in his dear son Jesus, and he cared so much for his glory, even in the Old Testament, he told Moses, Moses, be sure That you build this tabernacle exactly like I showed you on the mount. And then as you read through the final chapters of Exodus, you see, And Moses did according to all that the Lord said. And Moses did according to all that the Lord said. That phrase is repeated time and time again. And it involved the entire nation of Israel, the artisans, The women, the men that were just giving their gifts, and and everyone was on the same page. And it says, And then Moses looked over the work, and he had done all that the Lord had commanded him to do. And then it says, And then the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle so powerfully they couldn't even enter in. Now that's an Old Testament Pentecostal service. Okay? But now, the Bible says that to him be glory in the church, in the church, singular, throughout all generations, world without end. God is zealous for his glory. The enemy wants to move us away from glory because you know what happens if we don't have glory? Glory. We can't change. We can try to reform, but we can't transform. And what changes us, what can change, what seems to be monumental issues in your life and in my life in a moment is the glory of God. When people encounter the glory of God, big things are reduced to insignificance. And the thing that matters most is the glory of Jesus Christ. The glory bearer himself. How many of you believe the Lord wants his glory back in the church? But you know, he's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. If I do things in the flesh, if I try to use hype, if I haven't been with the one who is glorious, if I haven't partaken of his glory, if I'm not being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, he won't anoint that. He won't bless it because it's not really about him. It's about something else. We need the glory of God because the enemy is not a creator, he's an imitator And he will imitate the glory of God. And the church, the glory of God can lift off churches and people not even know it. All across the land I see some of this happening. But the good news is I also see people returning and saying, we need the glory of God. We're not going to settle for anything but the glory of God. Well, if you want my glory, you're going to do it my way. God doesn't need our visions. We need His vision. Amen? We need to be in the presence of the Lord. I can get more understanding in a moment, in in a poignant moment, in the presence of God than I can listening to all the commentary and narratives whirling around. He's zealous for His glory. I want to just share with you, let's pray first. Heavenly Father, I just sense this morning we are hungry. Lord, we're hungry. We want to see a fresh move of your Spirit. We want your glory to be upon the land. We want your glory to be in our hearts, to burn in our hearts. That it could be said of us, Lord, That in some way or another, people see Jesus in us. That we are glory bearers. That we bear the image of the Son, who is the express image of the Father. And so we ask you this morning, Lord, as we get into this word on spiritual warfare, that you would lead us and guide us. And it would truly be for your glory and that our hearts would burn as we hear not the words of a a very flawed man, but we would hear the voice of the Holy Spirit stirring our hearts, calling us deeper into sonship, calling us deeper into sonship as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And we give you praise for it, Father. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Spiritual warfare without the hype. I was being introduced one time at a church, and the worship had been good. It had been wonderful, and the people were in unison. And then the pastor said something about what he was going to do to the devil as he's introducing me. And I could just sense the grieving of the Holy Spirit. Because we were thinking that we could make light of the prince of the power of the air and spiritual wickedness in high places. You know, Jude wrote about that. He says, even Moses, when he was... uh, contending, or Michael, the archangel, when he was contending over the body of Moses, did not bring a railing accusation against the devil. But he said, the Lord rebuke you. Listen, our cliches, our hype will not suffice. Christians are called into three main functions in the Christian life. Worship work and warfare. Just remember that worship work and warfare And you don't get to choose some people say I don't like conflict as though the rest of us do I Don't like conflict either, but conflict seems to like me Conflict came after Jesus In fact, he makes it very clear that you can't be uninvolved in spiritual warfare. He said the kingdom of heaven suffers violence from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force I think that's Matthew 11:28 right in there somewhere or no 11:12 I'm sorry okay so we know we're in this spiritual battle and the first thing we need to understand is that we can't fight this battle in the flesh We can only fight it in the spirit, and yet it's already won. We're fighting a battle, we're fighting a war that already has a settled outcome. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus is not in a titanic struggle with the devil. He's not going, well, I don't know what to do. Uh, You know, this is getting crazy down there. I'm kind of getting out of control here. No, it's all playing together together according to his his eternal plan. The only reason he's waiting for his glorious return is because of the souls of men. He's not willing that any should perish. It's a serious thing to enter into eternity without Christ. And the Lord knows this, that it's a permanent thing. It's an... Eternal thing. And he says, I don't want anybody to perish. I'm, I'm withholding my wrath as long as possible before I unleash it because I want people to come to terms of peace with me through the blood of my son's cross. So we're on a mission. In this. Listen, our focus in spiritual warfare is not just self-preservation. It's the souls of men. That's what the war is really about. It's not even about getting the right government in. As much as I believe that we need to be salt and light socially, politically, in every other way, is an extension of our Christian faith, not a substitute for it. But because it is an extension, because there are people involved, we need the witness of Christ, we need the salt and light, we need the righteousness being released in the land. But the battle, as far as we're concerned, is over the souls of men. Now, if the enemy... So, so his strategy is basically this. Keep what I have in darkness and blindness keep them within the the walls of the gates of hell. And as far as the church is concerned, to do all I can to harass the church, to harass believers, to keep you from becoming and taking on the image of His Son and being a glory bearer and bearing His testimony in the earth. It's really not about us, is it? It's not even about our comfort. So there's a lot of changes that are coming. The Bible says everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Turn with me real quickly to Revelation chapter 6. I want to read something to you, and I'm not trying to get into deep eschatological discussions this morning. I simply want to put something in perspective. Revelation chapter 6, verse 3 says, When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to him, to the one who sat on it, to take peace from the earth. Think about that. To take peace from the earth. Why? That people should kill one another, and there was given him a great sword which meant that there's going to be a lot of influence with this this one that can take peace from the earth. How many of you believe that that America is a less peaceful place to live in than it was even 20 years ago or 10 years ago? The world is a cauldron. It is a boiling pot. And everybody wants peace. The drug addict wants peace. The religious... Religious person, they want peace. The person who is an alcoholic, they want peace. But they can't have peace. Because Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. What was that division over? What was the sword about? It's a sword between those who would know him and follow him And those large numbers of people who would never know him and reject him. That's what the war is about. But peace. How many times did the Lord have to calm his people down just to be able to communicate anything? They were in a full-blown panic, these mighty disciples, you know. I've been one of those mighty disciples And I I can really seem pretty much together until I'm in a storm. As Brother Joe said, you know, uh, my wife passed away uh, last January, January the 7th. She was diagnosed uh, with pancreatic cancer in 2017. And I never will forget when she first heard, you don't have gallstones you have pancreatic cancer and that tumors at the head of that pancreas in the worst place and it is malignant and she looks at the doctor and she says i'm not surprised and i'm not worried and i'm going i am i'm thrown off and i you know See, when you have the absence of peace, people hurt one another. Without peace, you make irrational decisions. Without peace, you run when you shouldn't run. Without peace, you pull back when you should go forward. Without peace, you lose the clarity of the Holy Spirit. Jesus never got rattled. Never. Never. And yet he was under incredible stress. Incredible, stressful situation. And he took all of that stress and he agonized in the garden and he prayed through until he was able to get up the third time. How many of you know sometimes when you're casting all your cares upon him, it takes a little time to get them cast. It takes some effort. It takes some intentionality. It takes some faith. To release burdens. But you can't function in a frenetic world in your own anxiety. Not in the spirit of faith. I don't know how many decisions I've seen people make and I'm talking about life, major life decisions without a sense of peace about it. So the first thing he would do is say, Don't be afraid. He says in John, he says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So I would say that one of the key things about being an effective warrior in a violent world, that a a world that is filled with violence and lawlessness and brutality and darkness and deception and many voices, is you have such a relationship with the Prince of Peace that you can find peace in a storm. You can find peace in any situation you're in. And you can, because you have Jesus inside you. And he's the Prince of Peace. And if you think that you have somehow matured to a place where you don't have to struggle with anxiety, and by the way, that's a big thing today. Almost everybody you talk to, they're stressed out they're anxious about things there's really only one cure for that and that's to learn to get into the presence of the lord until his assurances however they come to you his assurances drive out your fears and in his presence you have courage perfect love casts out fear for fear has torment he that Feareth is not made perfect in love. (coughs) You can't fake peace. You can't fake the fruits of the Spirit. That comes out of that connection with the Lord. He even told Paul, the great Paul the Apostle, He said, Paul, fear not. I have many people in this city. And Paul, don't be afraid. Because you're going to appear before Caesar. You're not going to die on this ship. I've still got plans for you. You're going to bear my name before Caesar. So don't don't fret. And then as, as Paul the Apostle received peace, he was able to share peace. How many of you are in family conflicts right now where the person you're trying to minister to has no peace and their mind is whirling and you know what we learn to adjust to that level of stress we just call it normal that's our new normal i have a friend in corsicana uh, not corsicana but temple i was passing a church in temple and he had on his refrigerator door i was in the rat race and the rats won name was Mitch Caliendo. He said, I was so stressed when I first came to Christ that every time I shut my eyes, he said all kinds of demonic stuff were coming at me. Making me afraid to pray. The enemy knows he wants to get you running like rabbits. He wants wants to wear us out. In fact, we'll look at that in just a minute. But this spiritual conflict I want you to understand, every soul, every person, and everything that happens in this world is is a reflection of the spiritual battle we're in. Every drug addict, every abortion, everything that goes on, every adulterous affair, that is an extension... Of the spiritual battle that's going on in the heavens. And the only people who can effectively work righteousness in the midst of all that and keep their head in the midst of all that are those Christians, those believers who are learning to stay committed to the Lord of hosts because He's the one with the answers, He's the one that gives us the supernatural peace. And that's what will make us distinctive. How many of you know that the church has never been effective with sameness with the world? If you want to try to win the world like being like the world, you will just simply become worldly. If you want to affect the world, if you want to be salt and light in the world, just be like Jesus. Because he'll never be popular but he'll always be a savior. He'll never be popular, but he'll always be the one that can literally take the most wretched life and make it a beautiful thing. He's the only one who can turn sinners into saints. That's Jesus. And that's what the world's looking for. They're not looking for more narratives. They're not looking for more commentaries. They're not looking for hype. When they come to the church, when they come to the house of God, they should come in and see the pillar and ground of the truth. And the thing that is most attractive to them will be the glory of God. That here are people who just love Jesus. They, just, they want to exalt Jesus. There's no superstars in the kingdom but Jesus. That'll feed your soul. And believe me, the Lord knows when a place is prepared for him. In fact, I'll just tell you this. I think that the Holy Spirit looks for every empty space that we will give him so he can fill it. If we'll give him a little empty space, he'll take what he can get. Even in your own personal life, he does that, does he not? But how much more does he want to do? How many of you think we pretty much exhausted the glory of God? That the church is pretty much, you know, we need to move on to something else. This might get boring. No. Beloved, we haven't seen anything yet. And when we get into eternity, we're not going to be bored there either. As Robbie Zacharias said, God is the only perpetual novelty. How do you exhaust the inexhaustible how do you exhaust the infinite how no wonder every time that uh something happened in the heavenlies the four and twenty elders fall down again and they're throwing their crowns again and they're going all over again have you ever been in a, a a big football stadium and everything that happens everybody just goes crazy that will be nothing You take the best, most electric experience you've ever had in your life and multiply that through eternity, and that's what we're getting into. My wife's there right now in spirit. It's like somebody said, you're not going to scare me with heaven. I'm looking forward to it. I know you are too. Everything that happens in this world, just understand it it, it has a spiritual connection to it. Everything. And this spiritual battle is fought at three levels. Let me give them to you real quickly because I want to get into the meat of this in just a minute. It's fought at three levels. You can't fight it at two levels or one level. It's all three levels and their interface. Level number one of spiritual warfare is your flesh. If you, can't, if you can't overcome the flesh by the Spirit, because you can't overcome the flesh by gritting your teeth. I know because I was the president of the White Knuckle Club. I was going to perfect myself, you know, and boy, and I was miserable to anybody else around me. And to myself. Until I realized the Lord's not looking for some mystical place where I'm so spiritual that he goes, I finally got him mature. Okay, I'm done with you, now let me go find some others. No. You know what the Lord wants? He wants us to be real in our growth. And because a little baby bears the image of his parents. A little child bears that image even more. It becomes more distinct. A teenager, we hope, bears that image even more and when you become fathers and mothers you realize how much you bear the image of your fathers and your mothers but as christians as we mature a real mature person is not somebody with just a head full of knowledge or just an attitude about everything but someone who bears the fragrance of christ bears the image of Christ. And you look and and people will be drawn, but there will also people who will hate that image. So if you think that being Christ-like means that everybody's going to like you, well, they didn't like him. You either love him or you reject him and hate him. That's the the cost. How many of you want to bear his image? How many of you really want to bear his image? If you really want to bear his image, then you must bear your cross. Because the old flesh has to be put to death daily. And it takes a lot of grace for that to happen. And to make matters worse, the second layer of spiritual warfare after the flesh, as you're growing in the the spirit and the fruits of the spirit, is the world. The world has a mighty influence and a mighty influence will come against us if we're not resistant to it. Be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Amen? Don't let anyone take you captive through philosophy or worldly deceit or the wisdom of men That's why we have to be careful. Even with our commentaries today, they're all flawed. This is not. This is the Word of God. So always use this as your plumb line. But the world is going to constantly say, conform, conform, conform. Don't be too radical. Don't be be too much like Jesus because if you do, you're going to stand out. And if you're going to stand out, you're going to get in trouble. Now you can get along with us and we don't mind you you know, talking a little bit in your privacy of your home about Jesus. But don't take it out in the streets. Don't take it into the highways and byways. Don't take it into government. Don't take it into education. Don't take it into the music field and the arts. Don't take it into science. And the Lord says, go into all the world and make disciples. He says, you're the light of the world. Don't put your light under a basket. You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt is lost its savor, how can it be salty? It's good for nothing, except to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. And that's exactly what the world will do to the remnant church if we do not retain our saltiness. What makes us different is the distinctiveness of Christ in us. We're not going to think like the world. We're not going to act like the world. And the division is going to be so great that the Bible says that even in our own families, that sword can come. Do you love anyone or anything more than Jesus? Now, don't answer that two questions quickly. My heart is to love Jesus more than, than anything or anyone. That's called first love. Because it's so easy to trade off first love for activity. That's what happened to the church at Ephesus. You have left your first love. You try those who say they're apostles and are not. You do good works. You do all of these things. I mean, if I, when I look at the, the grade on the church at Ephesus, I go, man, that's a pretty good church. And he says, but I have this against you. You have left your first love. Who is your first love? Is it Jesus? It should be. Because if it's not, you don't have the right first love. When I got saved, I mean really saved, I didn't know anything about denominations and ministry and anything I just knew that someone so great and so powerful had captured my soul and I wanted to follow him and it didn't matter if it was fun it didn't matter if it was about me or anything else and I wanted to tell everybody about this Savior called Jesus but as I grew older I I got more into the ministry and I got into this and I got into that and I I, I got married and we had children and I got busy and I did a lot of good things and I spent less and less time with my first love and more and more time doing things for him. Until the Lord said, you're putting things ahead of me. See, good things are just as deadly as bad things the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, both sides of that tree produce death. What keeps you fresh, what what will keep your head centered in this crazy world will just say, Lord, I'm going to get to know you. That's the way love grows, isn't it? You know, when my wife and I got married, we loved each other. We were married 44 years. But I tell you what, it got better and better and better and better. Not because we wrote a book about each other and studied it occasionally, but because we kept coming together and we talked about everything, we worked through everything, we were committed together, we spent time together. We just got life from each other by just being together. That's the way you get it from Jesus. You don't always have to go in and and you know, share your wisdom with him. You can just go in and just say, Lord, I love you. I want to know you. Lord, I'm really struggling in this area. I'm starting to get real worried. I'm trying to keep pace with the world. Now, let me just very quickly uh, read this. Turn over very quickly to, we're going to look at two verses in Daniel Go to Daniel chapter 7. I want you to see this. Daniel 7. Are y'all still with me? Okay, praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Daniel 7. This is talking about The Antichrist, or the little horn, the great horn. And he says in verse 25, this whole chapter is great, but he says, He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. Boy, I've sure heard some of that where I live in Spokane, Washington, with a drag queen story hour. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High. And then it even says the saints will be given into his hands for time, time, and half a time. Now a lot of people say that's just Israel. I don't believe it. I believe that's the church. Saints are saints. But this word persecute here, he will persecute the saints means to wear out mentally, to wear down, or to harass constantly. And the enemy will try to wear you out he'll get you going on some treadmill or he'll get you under accusation he'll get you going against your brothers and sisters and them against you and anything he can do because he knows that unless the church is unified in christ and flowing out of the life and glory of jesus it's ineffectual it won't do damage to the gates of hell those people who need to be brought out of darkness, won't be brought out of darkness because we'll be doing stuff. Right? Even defending yourself. We don't have to. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb, don't we? How many of you believe the blood never loses its power? We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. I learned a long time ago that no matter... What condition I'm in, I can come every day because His mercies are new every morning and mercy will motivate you more than shame and guilt and and, uh, intimidation and threats will ever do. Mercy is the greatest motivator in the universe. It will make you get up and know that you're free once again, clean once again, the slate's clean once again, and you're ready to say, here am I, send me. But if you're laboring under that stuff and mercy hadn't been applied, it just you're just getting worn down. And pretty soon, going to church, you're just going through the motions. Ask me how I know that. So that's one way. Just to know that the enemy is going to try to wear us out. But now turn over to Daniel chapter 12. I want you to see this. This, this is really something. I'd love to read this whole chapter, but I don't have time. But he says to Daniel, he's giving him this wonderful revelation of the end time of the resurrection itself. So Daniel, with his prophetic vision, was so keen that he saw to the end of time. That's a pretty far-sighted person, able to see. But this is what he says. Verse 4. But you Daniel shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end many shall run to and fro meaning that frenetic without peace thing and knowledge shall increase now think about that many shall run to and fro you know I came to Tyler I was born and raised in Tyler I remember when loop 323 was a two lane highway and there were forest coming out to it and now i came back and i'm going i don't even know where i am i actually got lost in tyler i'm serious they were uh jonathan was leading me back on grand boulevard or someplace what's that called grand Grande, okay well whatever it was i didn't recognize anything Coming in South Broadway, I didn't recognize anything until I got to the loop, and I said, okay, there's the mall, the old mall. I mean, what's going on here? I mean, do y'all just build 24 hours a day here, or what? But you see, what happens, though, is if you're not careful, just like they did with Jesus, the world was always trying to get Jesus to go where they wanted him to go. They even wanted to come and take him by force to make him their king because they want those easy fixes, you know. And Jesus refused. Jesus moved at the pace of his father. He said, I always do those things that I see my father do. I don't do anything I don't see my father do. So when the world says, you got to hurry, you got to rush, you got you to pedal faster, join the rat race and try to win. You can say, I'm not responsible for that. I'm responsible to walk with God. Well, you don't have time. Don't you know how important you are? I mean, you've got this big business, and and I don't have time to pray, Brother Bill. Why? Well, because of this. Well, then get rid of it. What's more important? Your life in God? Or... The rat race. Because if you do that other, it's going to lead you to death. It's going to wear you out, and you're not going to be able to keep up. And not only that, let me just show you how this rat race is speeding up. How many of you have felt like you've ever been in the rat race? I want to make sure that you identify what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, women today, especially single women with children, I don't even know how they do it. I really and truly don't know how they do it. Worn out. Absolutely worn out. Knowledge so so you've got this running to and fro meaning this mindless running. They're not really running with a plan. See, if I'm going to run, I want it to be out of vision. I want it to be out of something where the Lord says, "Now you can run." Like Elijah, he ran at a certain time, but he did a whole lot of waiting before it was time to run. But a lot of people, they think it's normal for them to try to live at the fastest pace the world can set, and it's not. We're not even designed for that. It's causing all kinds of physical problems. Isn't that true, Penny? I mean, doesn't a lot of stress cause a lot of sickness and a lot of problems, right? Mental problems and everything else. It says, and knowledge shall increase. Listen to this. Buckminster Fuller, he's the guy that created the knowledge doubling curve. And he began to study this and he said, until 1900, knowledge doubled about every hundred years. In 1945, at the end of World War II, knowledge doubled every 25 years. Today, with nanotechnology, that's the manipulation of molecules and atoms, which I know nothing about, nanotechnology doubles about every two years. Clinical knowledge doubles every 18 months. And general human knowledge doubles every 12 months. But... IBM has come out with projections and models based on artificial intelligence interfacing with the Internet where they can do problem solving at an incredibly fast pace and produce more and more data and more and more knowledge where they say eventually the knowledge will double every 12 hours. So, the folks that lived in 1900, they wouldn't be able to keep up with you. And you won't be able to keep up with either because that's not the purpose of it. The purpose of it is to wear you out. The purpose of it is to get you so stressed out and and all this stuff that you can't even sit down for a minute. The purpose of it is to make us all Martha's instead of Mary's. You know, Martha loved Jesus. She really did. But she was making sandwiches or whatever. She was preparing lunch while Jesus was in the living room. Can you imagine not being at the Bible or the the session where Jesus is teaching? I'm going to be in that session. You're not going to get me anywhere else. I'm going to be in that session. I'm going to be sitting at his feet and I'm going to listen to everything he says. Now you ladies might can relate to this. How many of you have ever been dumped with the responsibilities and the family members around you they say you're doing a great job. Here's some more for you to do. And you get a little out of been out of shape about that, don't you? Can you imagine Martha, as much as she loved Jesus, you got to be pretty worked up to walk in the living room and say Lord, don't you care that Mary has left me to do all this serving? I mean, you got to be worked up. We're talking the master of the universe here. I mean, I'm not going to approach him that way. I'm just, you know, I may be back there and I may say, you know, I'm going to gripe about Mary and whatever, but I'm not going to confront the master himself. She interrupted him. To let him know that he didn't care. Or at least question him on the subject. And what did Jesus say? Martha, Martha, you are distracted by much serving. But Mary has chosen. It's an intentional choice. If you don't intentionally choose that you're going to grow in Christ, you don't grow by just hanging out. There's an intentionality. There's a pressing in to prayer. There's a pressing in to reading your Word. Your flesh is not going to go, oh yeah, I want to get up earlier and read. Or, well, I don't read very well, or I had dyslexia, or I don't read at all. Well, then learn. It's that important. But whatever you need to do to get into the Word and eat it, and into prayer and breathe it, and be in the presence of God As a way of life, it will be worth it because you will be unique and you won't even know it. You'll be bearing his glory and the world will see it and you won't even realize your face is shining. But they will. Don't get in the rat race. Let me just end with these few thoughts. What can you do? And I had a whole bunch of them. And I thought, I'm going to wear them out with that. So d- let me just give you a few thoughts here. Truly. Focus on Jesus again. How many of you have been with Jesus today before you got here? And The day before and the day before and the day before. How many of you set your whole life as you fix your eyes on Jesus? the author and finisher of our faith. Because while everything else is shaking, we've got our eyes on Jesus. That's number one. Slow down and seek the Lord. Slow down and seek the Lord. Secondly, lay everything on the altar. Let go and let God. If you want to be a new wineskin, with new wine, and stay current with what God is doing in the midst of a, of a world that says run faster and faster, he says be transformed. If you really want to do that, listen, you're going to have to be able to discern when it's time for you to let go of something that you really held dear. Paul said, I count all things for lost for the excellency of the knowledge of him. We're coming into a time when there's going to be a total crisis. Isn't that a happy word for you? People say, well, we're going to get Trump in. I'll be honest with you, I hope we do. But even if we did, ten times over, the world is still going the way of the world. It's at breakneck speed towards its own destruction. And In that, there's going to be collapses. The Bible talks about famines, scarcity of food, talks about a lack of peace, that people hurt each other where there's not peace. People are more in conflict with one another. And I hear the Lord saying, if the bride is going to make herself ready, then you have to be willing to change and let go of things. The way you catch a monkey... Give me five minutes. The way you catch a monkey, seriously, they drill a little hole in the top of a gourd. They hang it on a limb. They fill it with some beans. And they make it just big enough. I've seen this on video where the monkey comes up there and and he sticks his arm down in there and he grabs him a good handful of beans. And then he can't get it out because he won't let go. And they walk up to him, and he's looking around like this, but he's got those beans. Some of you are holding on to beans. Some of you think you can hold on to your children who are in rebellion to God. You can't save them. But brother, if you let them go into the hand of God and you you become the intercessor, then God begins to do mighty things that you couldn't do because you let go. Well, I'm not going to let go of this second house. Well, yes, you will. It just depends on whether or not they have to break the gourd to get you. But eventually, you will let go of things that are holding you down. Simplify your life. Following Jesus is not rocket science. It's a life-giving relationship. Lay everything on the altar. Let it go and let God. Things, conundrums, things you can't figure out. Put it on the altar. God's got it. He's not confused. Let it go. Thirdly, receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Isn't that interesting? He says, receive with meekness. How many of you just naturally meek people? Just whatever the Lord says, you're just so meek. When he says... When you're reading in the Bible and it says, how many times do I forgive my brother? Until seven times? No, until 70 times seven. You're good at that, right? Me too. But meekness is saying, Lord, my flesh doesn't like it, but I'm humbling myself under your mighty hand because I want the word not just in my head. I don't want to just cluck it out to other people I want to be a practitioner of it. I want the Word of God to become a way of life in me. Because that's when it gets real. You can study and quote this Bible from cover to cover and not live it. That's number three. Receive with meekness the engrafted Word. Be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. And the last is avoid spiritual entropy. And that's a whole message in itself. Avoid spiritual entropy. You know everything in the universe is in a state of entropy. Did you know that? What is entropy? It's moving from order to disorder. And it's moving from usable energy to non-usable energy. That's what entropy is. If you don't really know what entropy is, just go clean your room up and walk away and see if it stays that way. See if it gets better. It won't. Because you have to intentionally work against entropy all the time. Even in your own life, your life will go into chaos and disorder if you don't keep coming back to the one who is outside the system who brings new order in. And I want to say this last thing in regards to entropy. The way you combat and reverse entropy... It's through the authority of Christ and the power of Christ. Not just the power of Christ. A lot of people want the power of God. Give us the power of God, Lord, in the church again. We want power, man. I want to see healings. He says, I want to see order. Because I don't release my power and my glory to make a circus of it. Isn't it interesting? Every time you grow, every time God gives you a new, fresh anointing in your life, he brings a little more order with it. Order and power always go together, and order comes first. Order comes first. Let God order you. He'll do it. By the Holy Spirit. Amen? Thank you for letting me share this morning. This has been a blessing to be here. Thank you, Brother Joe. Man, it's just so good being here and all the times we've had together. I could spend, I didn't want to get off on that too much because I knew I'd be 45 minutes into the messages talking about our relationship and Brother James and Ann and all of you. God bless you for being here this morning. But I pray that you hide this word in your heart. Amen? Thank you, Brother Joe. You betcha.
0: Let's just take a minute and respond to the word this morning. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. You know, I was sensing as Bill was talking, um, some people when they, when they preach, it's like they got their points and you're following their points and you can take notes on it. Other people, when, when they preach, it's like they're the interface between this huge reality of God and the huge reality of us. They're not trying to explain the whole thing. Right. They just want right. you to sense, right. you know, what's right. there. And that's, that's what uh, I know. I mean, I'm taking notes, so I know that there's a lot. Some of it's funny, but a lot of the stuff that he's saying there um, that just really penetrated my heart. Um, But the thing that I got is a deep sense of the presence of God and the love of God and the sovereignty of God and the call, you know, that he's calling us to. So if you're sensing that same thing this morning, let's just stand together and um, just bring our hearts before the Lord. out your hand to somebody that's next to you and just begin to pray. Just pray for consecrate ourselves to him it's something that we do by the power of the holy spirit but it's by our own uh, willingness to submit to his lordship we just consecrate ourselves to you right now Lord. thank you that you've spoken a word directly to our hearts thank you that you haven't taken the edge off of it this morning lord but that you've you've spoken through uh, your your prophet lord your uh, minister um, who's given us the whole mind of christ that he has as he knows it Um, Thank you that it penetrates, Lord, and it divides us, Lord, between our soul and our spirit, Lord. And we so desire, Lord, to walk in the power of the Spirit. And we so desire, Lord Jesus, to respond to that upward call um, today, Lord Jesus. So we consecrate ourselves, Lord. And we say that our heart, Lord, is your safe space. It's where you won't be questioned. It's where you won't be judged, Lord, but that you will be loved and you will be obeyed, Lord. You, want us to, you love us unconditionally, Lord. We want to love you with that same quality of love, Lord. You care for us unconditionally. We want to follow you with that same quality, Lord, of being unconditional. As we go forth from this place, Lord, we believe that you're going to complete the work that you started here, Lord. Whether it's given wisdom or direction or healing, Lord, that you're going to complete what you have started here. And we're gonna rejoice in that, Lord. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. So teach my soul
2: to rise to you.